For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. It's time for a change of attitude here in Hebrews chapter 12. The pastor writing these persecuted Christians wants them to think differently about their suffering. If they understood that God was using their trying times for good, they'd be able to cope so much better. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, The Discipline of the Lord. One of the greatest NFL coaches of all time, Tom Landry, Um, is famous for this quote. The job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. I really like that quote. And in in that regard, I guess you could call the coach a disciplinarian, you know, someone who provides guidance, certainly well-intentioned, Uh, encouragement to keep at it, whatever at it means, practices and routines uh, to develop consistency until we get it right and we achieve excellence, right? Interestingly, but not too surprisingly, I looked up the term disciplinarian and discipline in uh, the regular dictionaries, right? And, and I, I found out that there's a negative spin to it, of course, uh, which kind of lets you know uh, how the world feels in general about discipline and disciplinarians. Here's the word for disciplinarian, straight up. Hard taskmaster, despot, ramrod, slave driver. I was like, shh, relaxdictionary.com. It's going to be all right. Whoa. Take some deep breaths. Now, would it surprise you to find out that the Bible's take on that subject is a lot more upbeat, all right? Especially as God, as our disciplinarian, uh, the, the, the process of discipline and having a disciplinarian like a loving God. Uh, The words used for that is love, nurture, caring, responsible, honor, knowledge, and life. It's a big difference between how God sees things and how the world does. Well, here, the context for Hebrews chapter 12, this nameless pastor is writing his dear Christian friends, these Hebrew uh, believers who are in a congregation. They're kind of worn down and discouraged by the persecution that they have to deal with day in and, and day out. And it's time for a pep talk, but it's really time to change their attitude about suffering and suffering as a Christian. Because if you have the wrong understanding about what it means to to have trouble in the Christian life, well, 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 then you're going to miss what God is trying to do in that situation. So it's time uh, for a pep talk. As I said, the Holy Spirit's kind of going into coach mode. 
you know, and, and with the objective of changing their attitude about suffering. And as he's trying to change their attitude about their suffering, perhaps we could be listening in and have an attitude adjustment about our own suffering as well. Because by the end of the chapter, there's a lot uh, of blessing if we listen to it. And, you know, when we have difficulties, the point of the chapter is going to be that our loving Father is using those troubles for our good to teach us, to mold us, to bless us. And, and how did Tom put it? Uh, to make us do what we don't want to do in order to achieve what we've always wanted to be. Verse 3. Now consider him, who is Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises is a better English word, but punishes everyone he accepts as a child. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what child of his is not by, for what child is not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, on top of all that, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us. We respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Now, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. That's our text for this morning. And in these 11 verses, really, they're calling for a major overhaul of their attitudes. And, and, and in, in at least three ways, and that's going to be our three points, really, three new fresh ways to look, about, uh, look at our Christian suffering, three attitudes that will be helpful and biblical when we are suffering, all right? So let's... Look at the first one in verses three and four. And I would say the changing attitude he's trying to get here is for the person to be able to say, I'm not the only one suffering here. And I think it would be helpful if we just all said that together. Ready? I'm not the only one suffering here. Now we're going to say it like you really mean it. <laughs> all right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? 
I mean, you can say it once and you're like, yeah, but you don't know. <laughs> yeah, let's try to get that voice down a little bit. All right, one more time. I'm not the only one suffering here. Well, some have had it worse than I have had it. And let's not forget about Jesus. And so there is just something strengthening and something uh, motivating when I see my call to suffer in connection to the church in the world, my brothers and sisters in Christ. First Peter chapter 5, verse uh, 7 and following says, Be on your alert. You have an enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, just smacking his chops, just looking for someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that your brothers and sisters throughout the whole world are suffering the same kinds of suffering you're going through. Do you see? It's not just me. It's the people of God, and, and the context of this, therefore, come and consider Jesus, was consider the martyrs. You know, from what, five verses ago? He's talking about Isaiah being sawn in two, martyred that way, talking about people who had it way worse than those Hebrews there in the first century. And so he was kind of trying to get them to compare their lot of suffering to those who had had more invested, who suffered greater lengths than they did. And then he's going to put Jesus in the mix, right? So, you know, in a practical way, I got back from uh, India a few months ago talking to pastors. Uh, we couldn't meet in their town because they're being martyred. So we brought them to another town, another city, where it was safer, and I talked to them, and I told you about this. The pastors are talking to me about their situation. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're all poor because we can't, they won't let us earn a living there. Um, we can't buy groceries by the, the, the religious zealots there. They have burned down our churches. They have attacked our wives and kids we have friends who have been killed. We have two guys who are in prison right now. Okay, so I've got problems. Who doesn't have problems, right? But do I really? <laughs> do I really? I mean, I had a long 16-hour flight to think about it, coming home. <laughs> do I have problems? Yeah, I have problems. And on one of my bad days, you'll hear about them. You know, I'll start listing them and telling you how bad they are and how hurt. I am, and all of this stuff. And God's just saying, it's very helpful for you to know you're not the only person who's struggling. And if you looked around and you were honest about it, you have it pretty good in your suffering. Amen? Oh, you're more lively than the first audience. <laughs> the first audience needed a little prodding right there. <laughs> I was like, amen. They're like, all right, amen. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> In case you have relatives or friends. <laughs> All right, so that's important. And so now, now he says, you know, you're not the only one suffering. In fact, before you lose heart, can we consider Jesus? And, and, and what he does, he uses this word. I told you last time, it's an accounting word. It means to calculate 
All right, so he's starting, a, he wants a word problem. Is, he wants you to add something up and, and cross the line and say equals and get the answer. So uh, let, let, let us see what he's trying to get at. Now, analyze Jesus, who endured great opposition from these sinful men. How did it go? This is what he's saying. How did it go for Jesus when he was here? Let's just start. That's A, all right? How did it go for him? Not very well is the answer. He was despised and rejected uh, by sinful men. He was accused. The Son of God, the perfect Son of God. God in a body, accused of being demon-possessed, accused accused of being insane by his own family, accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. His words were twisted. He was falsely accused. He was slandered, mocked, ridiculed, insulted upon insults all the time. Before he was laid a hand on, He was already sweating drops of blood with the thoughts of what was coming. This is called suffering. He says, you want to talk about your suffering? You want an attitude of your suffering and how significant that suffering is? uh, Turn your eyes upon the cross of your Lord Jesus Christ, who was not just merely a good man or a prophet. He's the incarnation of God himself hanging on that tree. Let's talk about what he endured and invested for whom? For you, right? I mean, a crown of thorns, really? A punch in the face, prophesy, who hit you? Blindfold him, strip him, and then nail him to a, a piece of wood that he created and watch him suffocate slowly for six hours. Calculate this, he says, you sufferers. Calculate who that was and what he let them do to him for you. Calculate this. Now, now Jesus speaking on the night before this happened, he said this, and this helps you do the math. He does the math for us. He says, now, if the world hates you, he's sitting at the last table, last table, <laughs> the last supper, at the table. <laughs> if the world hates you, listen to this. Keep in mind that it hated me first. It's not about you. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've taken you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know God, but this is to fulfill what was written in in Psalm 69, 4. They hated me for no good reason. Now, consider that. If, If that's what happened to Jesus, and we come in his name and act like him and talk like him, we're probably going to get the same reception and kind of be despised and rejected in the same way. That's the and, and the, the line goes, and the total is, ta-da, there it is. You consider him, you understand this is a normative, expected part of Christianity is rubbing the world the wrong way, and that causes conflicts all the time. Now, I got a, a little homespun thing I thought of, uh, an analogy to help all of us, all right? 
if John brought a cherry pie for Jack, but Jack hated everything about the pie and John, <laughs> and, and rejected his motive for bringing it, hated the recipe, hated cherries, the whole nine yards, Jack ends up throwing the pie in John's face, insulting him in a rage, kicking him out of the house. Sometime later, you show up on the doorstep, all right? You ring the doorbell holding a pie. <laughs> and he says, yeah, what do you want? And you say, hi, I'm John's little brother, and I come in his name <laughs> with a pie. It's his special recipe. Want to try? What's going to happen to you? You think he's going to go, is it cherry? Oh, what was I thinking? I would love a piece of cherry pie. No, it's the same recipe. And church, be on your guard because this is the last day's deception to the evangelical church. And here's how it goes. Change the recipe of the pie. So Jack will be happy. Jack won't be mad anymore. All you have to do is just make it a pie he would like. What kind of pie does he like? Change some of the ingredients. You'll be so much more popular. You'll be setting up on the street corners. People be coming by saying, hey, love that pie. Do you love that pie guy? Right? Is that the point of the gospel? Is that we change the ingredients of the pie? Just tweak it a little bit. What does he like in there? Slugs? Yeah, put some slugs in there. That's gross. <laughs> no, it's lugs. Maybe you thought, hmm, sounds good. What's the guy like? Pigeon pie. Oh. Yeah, just throw a little pigeon in there, you know, and make him happy. All right. First service, like that one better? All right. Just to say, here's, here's how I think about it right now. All right, I'm suffering, okay? <laughs> All right, well, now that I can't read the other part down here, <laughs> you're, you're not doing anything wrong sometimes. Suffering just happens because of the world we live in. So uh, verse four, clearly someone has had it worse than you, and that someone was the son of God. In your struggle, you have vent. Uh, resisted to the point of shedding your own blood like Jesus had. And so what does it mean in your struggle against sin? Well, what does that mean? Well, you get the answer if you, you look at the first part. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you won't grow uh, weary in your struggle against sinful actions. So the actions of those who persecute Christians are sin. So he's talking about as you're dealing with this whole sinful mess and in this particular line of suffering, it is faith-based and caused because you're making a, a stance for the gospel and because of your being a Christian. And he's saying, hey, you know what? I, I understand, and here was their situation. It was hard. You know, they had lost property, remember? They were publicly embarrassed and shamed. Uh, some of them went to jail for a season, but here's what he's saying. But so far, no blood. 
So thank God. See Jesus' investment and the martyrs around you. But thank God, because right now, guys, there's no blood. And, and that's what he's saying. That, yeah, there's more fight left in you. So if he was talking to us today, he could say, yeah, you know, you struggle as a Christian. You've got struggles in your, your life. You know, someone doesn't like you. Uh, they mock you. Someone slanders you. You're marginalized. You know, what are the words now? You're stupid, backward, narrow-minded, unenlightened, a hater, and a everything phobe. Just fill in the blank and put phobe after it because that's who we are. Someone recently engaged me in a big, ugly battle, uh, uh, a debate about uh, human sexuality and marriage and all of that. And then they said, you, in 20 years, are going to look like a fool because you are on the wrong side of history. You and all those other like-minded Christians, you're all on the wrong side of history. I said, number one. <laughs> number one, 20 years, 20,000 years, 20 million years. It'll never turn wrong into right. So number one. Number two, it's not my view. I, don't, I didn't design marriage. I didn't write that book. I'm just representing a book and someone else's opinions here. Okay, so this didn't originate with me. So apparently the author of that book is on the wrong side of history. All right, now let's just settle that, okay? Now, <laughs> number three. Number three, I'm just warming up. I said number three. I would rather be on the wrong side of history than on the wrong side of the living God who is coming to judge this world, the living and the dead, with his powerful angels in blazing fire. I, would. I just would. I'd rather be wrong. But we're right. <laughs> yeah, so that's the kind of thing. So he says, yeah, you're suffering. You know, you didn't get the job or... You know, no, you know, somebody in the family's miffed and won't talk to you anymore. Somebody won't go to the wedding now. So the whole wedding's ruined because somebody knows that somebody's going to be there and we're not going there. So that Christian is going, you know, right? Do I need to do more? Okay. You got it. Yeah. That's hurtful. Moms are crying at night. Yeah. Dads too. Okay. We've, we suffer. We've got problems. But you know what? Where's the blood? Where is the blood? You don't have a scratch on you. Not even a slight scratch. That's what he's saying to them. Next time you just, just think about those who are this afternoon being lined up to be beheaded this afternoon because they love Jesus. They're getting lined up today, right now while we're talking. So let's just include them and then reflect on the spittle coming down Jesus' face mingled with the blood. And then have a new take on your situation. And then you could say, I'm not the only one suffering here. 
did Jesus kind of put this in fine print or did he say, hey, if anyone wants to follow me, first of all, it's a lot of work. You got to get used to telling yourself no all the time. No, 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 because that sinful nature is always going to try to ruin your life. So you'll have to always be saying no, 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 no. And secondly, you're going to have to pick up a cross upon which you will die to the old life so you can be raised to the new and then follow me. He didn't pull any punches. So let's move on. You're not the only one called to suffer. And here's the lion's share of the passage. Uh, Furthermore, the suffering actually isn't a bad thing because God will use it for good. Have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, don't make light of this time. Don't lose heart. When he's rebuking, correcting you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he chastises everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. This is how you should be thinking of it. Hey, this problem, God is treating me as his son. But what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. More than that, we've all had human fathers. They did their best, but they, you know, how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for good that we may share in his holiness. Now, uh, okay, so he's saying, did you guys forget something along the way? I, I mean, you know, when you're discouraged, and you have harsh circumstances day in and day out, you tend to get forgetful about theological truths, right? They, they just kind of go out the window, you know? And so he's going to remind them. He says, you're forgetting something. So here's the attitude change. Um, God uses my struggles for good. God uses my struggles for good. Why don't we say that together? God uses my struggles for good. <laughs> Some of your faces didn't look convinced, but. (laughs) All right, so apparently they developed a bad case of spiritual amnesia. He says, I see you've forgotten something that we taught the new believers class on page one. Suffering and sonship go together. And I already gave you the line. Jesus said, hey, if you want to sign up with me, just know that it's going to be a little bit of a struggle. But don't worry. I've overcome the world, and so shall you, right? And so he lets us know that. Not only has God allowed the struggle in our life, uh, he as our loving fathers actively using that struggle to train us and mold us uh, and change us. Um, Now, it's safe to say here that if you're a believer and you have a, you're in a predicament of any kind, you caused it, someone else caused it, it's inward, it's outward, whatever problem it is, it qualifies for you to be able to say, this thing is, God is using this thing for good to train me, to show me something, to teach me, to grow some Christian character. That's why, um, and the New Testament writers, they're kind of in a conspiracy about this, all right? Because James says, hey, I want you to count it pure joy, not just joy, like pure joy, when you fall into troubles of various kinds. Because you know that the trying of your faith, these troubles are producing in you perseverance, 
And perseverance has to have its full work in you so that you'll be complete and whole. So the, the understanding of what God is doing in my life is trying to mature me. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, all the time quoted, but just stop short of God's overarching theme in your life. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. Keep reading. Because the next verse is showing you that all those things and God's definition of good is conformity to the moral nature of Jesus Christ himself. So that God's definition of good, hey, it's all working for good, may not be yours. <laughs> if yours is different than being more like Jesus, more loving like, as loving as Jesus, as patient as Jesus, as compassionate as Jesus, as self-controlled as Jesus, as appropriate as Jesus, as uh, everything about Jesus, as submitted as Jesus was to God the Father, him being God the Son. God's overarching theme in your life, that is why you can say, whatever problem that I have today, God's going, ah, gym class, and he's a loving coach, and he's your personal trainer, and he's going, okay, let me show you how to handle this one. All right, because this is gonna teach you this lesson. Or today we're gonna work these muscles. Or, or oh, he's got a plan. But if you think that God is up there to make you comfortable all the time and happy and healthy and all of this stuff, you've got the wrong idea. Yes, he makes things comfortable. Yes, there are seasons of those kinds of times in our lives, of course. But if you've got a problem, it is telling you, somebody just said this to me the other day, such and such is happening. But you know what? I think God's got his hand in it. God's hand is in it. My response, what does God not have his hand in? <laughs> right? I know what you mean by that, right? And I think I say that too. Uh, uh, God's got his hand in everything. So whatever it is, he's saying, okay, I'm your personal trainer. I love you. Let's talk about the difference between punishment and chastisement. Now, in, in Greek, the understanding is pruning away dead wood, um, polishing up, uh, nurturing, and drawing out the best in you, strengthening you, cleansing. That's the idea. It's hopeful. It's optimistic. It's like that coach, right? That's the chastising. Punishment, though the word is misleadingly translated as punishment. Never in the Greek are Christians the object of Greek word, original language, punishment. Because why? Christ was our sin offering. He was punished for you. That's called double jeopardy. And we are never, ever punished for our sins. He may rebuke and he may correct but even that has a loving father. Let's hug and pray and let's just learn from this and let's go this way. It's never punitive. It's always to help you grow. It's like that chastising or John 15 where Jesus says, 
I'll just read it. I have it. He said, every branch that does bear fruit, that does bear fruit. So when you're a productive Christian, he says, uh, we prune that back so that you'll be even more fruitful. Wait a second here. Okay. The fruitful ones get cut back so that they'll be even more fruitful. Oh, yeah, well, you know, that hurts, I think. I don't hear the tree saying anything, but, I mean, it looks painful. (laughs) Listen, I'll tell you a story about one of my prunings. I, I, you know, got diagnosed with cancer 12 years ago. I had all that chemotherapy, six months of chemotherapy, a month of radiation, and it failed. So he said, okay, we're going into emergency save your life mode. We'll put you at UCSF for two months lockdown. You'll have a bone marrow stem cell rescue, right? So they took out my stem cells. That's a process. They nuked my entire, what was left of any blood in there and my bone marrow and gave me back my own stem cells. This has now been a process of a full year, right? I came home. I was all, I mean, you don't have eyelashes. You don't have eyebrows. You don't look human without eyebrows, you know? (laughs) I was using Barb's eyebrow pencil. (laughs) I was so weak. I just didn't, I walked by the mirror. I didn't recognize who is that person. And I walked into the house at Roner Park, and there used to be this gigantic, I think it was a fig tree. And it had these beautiful leaves that filled up the whole backyard. And when I went home, somebody while I was in the hospital came over as a favor and pruned the tree back. And it went from this gorgeous spreading tree to this ugly little thing that just a stalk of nothing. Not even one little green nothing. And I was staring at it and the Holy Spirit was like, Ross, I'm not done with you. Yeah, it hurt, I know. Eight months later, we started Calvary Chapel as a basketball plant at a church. Eight months from then, the Lord was saying, I got to trim some stuff back here. I got to show you things that you're going to need because you're going to be a senior pastor. You've never been a senior pastor before in your whole life. And you have no idea what's coming. We gotta get, we gotta get rid of, and look what happened to my hair, too. (laughs) Furthermore, he says, by the way, the fact that he's got you at the gym and he's disciplining you and you're dealing with struggles in a Christian way is proof of your sonship, that you belong to him, that you're not an illegitimate kid. Same house, a different illustration. I pull into the cul-de-sac, get out of the car, and the the kids are playing in the cul-de-sac. Not my kids, the neighbor kids. Rude. What's the word? Profane. Oh, I got out of the car. I was like, oh, animals, right? (laughs) And so I went in the house. It's not my job to discipline them, right? The reason I didn't is because I, they're not my sons. So there are people out there 
who they don't struggle with sexual immorality. They don't struggle with lust. Do you know why? Because they appease their sinful nature. They don't know the Lord. And, and what we call uh, sexual immorality, they call a good time. Because they don't belong to him. They, have not, they don't have our struggles. They're not being lined up on a beach getting ready to have their heads cut off. Why? They don't have that struggle. But if they did, the proof of their sonship is that they're on the beach getting ready to meet their father. It is proof that thing that you hate, that thing you wish would go away, that thing that you think is, oh, it's a terrible thing. He's saying, you belong to me. Those illegitimate kids out there, they're not struggling to take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. They're not interested in Christian character or developing prayer or resisting the devil or all of these struggles. They're illegitimate. They don't belong to him. He wants them. He died for them. He's sharing the gospel with them. But he's saying the very thing that you think is your worst nightmare is proof that you belong to God. And he takes you up because he loves you. And he says, you got my name. This is how we do things in heaven. This is what we think. I'm going to introduce you to my friends and family up here. I can have you coming up here mouthing off like that. And I come up here and you're going to resemble the father that you have and are related to. Why is it so important? It's important so we share his holiness. All that means is that God is separate and God is good. God is morally different and separate from this world. And he wants us to be that way. And so when you get insulted, you know, you, I'm suffering. Somebody at work is, is insulting me. So he says, okay, man, here comes the coach, your personal trainer, God. And he comes up alongside of you. And he says, okay, get in that thing. Get in that, that machine, you know, one of these. Okay, and, and, and they're insulting you. Okay, ready, turn the other cheek. Okay, ready, go. Okay, come on, let's do it again. Again, yeah, because you got, got this side. Oh, good, turn this way. Okay, uh, but he's doing it again and again. Oh, then I got to turn. What I'm doing here is I'm turning up the speed and the timer on the elliptical because it's not going away. Yeah, it's not going away because God is saying, you need to stay under it. The word for patience in the Greek is hupanome. And it means, patience means to remain under. So when you're praying, Lord, help me to be patient, you know what you're saying? <laughs> Keep it over me, Lord. <laughs> Keep me under it, right? This is what he's saying. Everything that comes your way. He said, now, let me show you this, how to do this. Jumping jacks, push-ups, all of these things the Holy Spirit is saying. He says, okay, why don't we just, here's, here comes the problem. Let's start with some stretching. Oh, why don't we get on your knees? Yeah, get on your knees. So you get on your knees. He's like, okay, while well, you're down there, <laughs> let's pray. So you learn how to pray in different ways when you've got problems. So he's teaching you, you're at the gym. And you know, the problem will go away when you develop the trait that that problem came to help you with. Do you understand that? You, that's really important. 
the trait that he's trying to get you to, to, to have. To worship God when you're weeping or you're brokenhearted. You don't just drop out because things aren't going your way. He, he needs to develop that in you, that you're able to be faithful when you're frustrated or kind and loving when someone's irritating you. Those are character qualities that don't just happen by him. Made where You pray and he comes over and he waves the magic wand and voila, you're, you answer softly when you're aggressed. No, it's practice. It's repetition. It's pain. It's losing some of those battles, getting up again. That's what he's saying. You're in the gym with me, but I love you. And everything, every time I say, let's do it again. Oh, you're changing, you're growing. Why? Like I said, listen, one day, soon, you're going to be wearing robes, royal robes. And they're going to be white because they're going to be clean. There's nothing unwholesome or filthy or, or perverted about it. So he's, he's hammering that stuff out now. And yes, he'll complete the work, but we still represent him now. There's going to be a crown of gold on your head. That's what he promised. You're going to be judging the world alongside the Son of God. Shouldn't the character within match the quality of the pavement in heaven? The pavement in heaven is gold. You're going to be walking on that stuff. Shouldn't your character be worthy of even walking on the dirt of heaven. That's what he's after. And how does he get it done? He gets it done with a little bit of pressure. And not always does it come from your foolishness, but because you're just in this world and it it comes about and he's using all of this. So in essence, here's what he's saying. The conflict comes, embrace it. Yeah, I I don't have any problem saying, Lord, uh, three times I'm going to ask you, hey, can this one go away? You know, and sometimes it does. He takes away a lot of stuff. But if it stays around and you've got to wrestle that thing, he's saying, come on, let's wrestle. Come on, I'm right here with you. Let's wrestle. Submit, respect, cooperate, and become more like the Lord. Amen. Okay, I think we're going to finish up. We made it. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Understatement of the year. Later on. (laughs) It depends what we're talking about. Later on, however, it produces a harvest, big word, of righteousness, goodness, and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, Strengthen those feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. All right, the third attitude really is, come on, you know, be strong, right? Or he's really saying, and I looked it up because I like this, cowboy up, all right? So cowboy up, I looked it up, here's what it says. When things are tough and you're thrown off the Bronco, you have to get back up, dust yourself off, and keep on trying. I really kind of think that's what he's saying here. Here's what he's saying. Look past the pain and see the gain. Look beyond the process and see the results. In verse 11, really, 
the actual process of discipline is not a pleasant one. Let's see. Do I want to be disciplined with a problem, work through that, or do I want to be on a lounge chair on white sandy beaches in Maui, <laughs> sipping out of a coconut <laughs> underneath a palm tree? I don't know. It's kind of hard. Let me see. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, no. Yeah, I guess I'm going to have to go with the uh, Hawaii <laughs> or Maui. All right, or any of the other islands there. Now, so here, here's the deal. It's really only after the fact, when the results of discipline emerge, really, that its relative value can be determined. All right, listen, always after. You always say it afterwards. Oh, man, I had no idea what was coming. I'm so glad that I went through that. You know, I'm not sure I would want to go through it again. Sometimes we say I would go through it again because the... Payoff is so good. Let me, here's what I'm thinking of. Remember King David. When he was a youth, you know, for whatever reasons, he is, he didn't get along with his father. His father just neglected him. And his brothers also kind of abusive brothers. He's the baby. And they said, you know, go take care of the sheep. And so he's alone out there, you know. He's alone out there. And what happens to him? He's really got a heart for God. And a bear comes out of nowhere and attacks him. And he wrestles a bear, wrestling. That bear wants to kill him, right? And it wasn't just a bear. You read the text. It was a lion as well. In other words, wild animals were always coming at this young teen. He could be saying, God, you know what? (laughs) Why do you let the bears attack me? Why do I got to fight a lion? I got a scar here. It still hasn't healed. Why'd you let that happen? Where's your protection? I'm calling on the name of the Lord, and there's a, I'm, I hear something creeping in the dark. Where are you then? Where's your angels? Why am I going eye to eye with a beast? And then in chapter 16, there's a giant man called Goliath. And so it says, who's gonna go down and get that beast? And David goes, beast, animal, lion, bear. The Holy Spirit goes, yeah, go for it, kid. (laughs) He got it, he's like, and he says it, he gives it as a testimony. They look at him and go, dude, you're not even out of puberty. That's kind of what it means, the beard thing. He says, you don't even have a beard. This guy's been fighting all his life. Who are you? And he goes, you know what? I've been fighting bears and mountain lions. I wrestled them and grabbed them by my hand. I didn't handle this guy with God's help. Oh, now. Oh, now who's happy about the bears? Right? Oh, suddenly. Oh, okay. You weren't abandoning me. And letting me suffer. I'm the only one who has to deal with mountain lions. (laughs) You know, and you spend hours showing everybody the scar. Look, look at this, how bad it is. Oh, I can't even lift it up this high. (laughs) God has let you guys grab whatever is grappling you. He's let it grapple you. It's okay. Because if, oh, oh, oh. This is so important. Don't miss this. 
It produces a harvest of righteousness. Goodness and peace will flow out of your life in big buckets for those who have been trained by it. Oh, don't you even think just because you're a Christian and you've got lots of problems that everything's going to be all blessed in the end. Oh, no, no, no. There's a requirement. There's lots of Christians with lots of problems and they face crisis after crisis after crisis and they don't even know they're being trained. They're not engaged. They're not asking questions. They're not cooperating. They're resenting. They're dragging their feet. They're making it all about them. They don't get any of this. They don't get righteousness, a big harvest, a peace overflowing. You know what they get? They get another problem. That's what they get because they're not getting it. You have to be trained. That means you said, okay, Lord, this is a good thing. What do I do here? Okay, well, they're insulting me. They're insulting me. Well, Jesus says, hey, when they insulted me, I did not open my mouth. But I entrusted myself to the one who judges justly. First Peter 2 something. <laughs> okay. Don't answer. Don't answer. Let me vindicate you. Let me vindicate you. Oh, that's a kingdom lesson, but you don't learn that unless you're in the gym with the problem. He keeps giving his children opportunity. Embrace it, learn it, get trained by it, submit. And then what's going to happen? Oh, righteousness is just the right. Uh, your life is right with God, and so it brings this order and peace in the way life is supposed to work, and everything you're better because of it, and uh, you grow, and there's goodness everywhere because you did. So he says, okay, therefore, about your flabby arms. <laughs> That's kind of what that word means. And about your legs that are having trouble. He says, I love this in the Greek. Make level paths for your feet. It means straightforward feet. So here's what he's saying. Stop all of the nonsense. Stop complaining. It's just get moving forward again. Look at this thing and say, God, teach me. I'm open. I'm ready. I'm not resenting it. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want you to use this. Yes, Father, I'm in. Let's do this. And then what happens? It, you, you're healed. See, it's not up to you to, to strengthen yourself. He says, if you just cooperate with me with straightforward feet, not turning this way, not turning that way, but go straight through this thing, I'll heal the flabby arms. I, 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 I'll make you buffed in the spirit, all right? I'll make you uh, strong. And, or, or you got an option. Well, we got an option. <laughs> or disabled. <laughs> That's the choice. Submit to God. Let him strengthen you. Get, get straightforward feet about this. Quit all of this. Straight and narrow path. Bring it on, Father. You're with me. Coach, come on. This is your loving uh, opportunity for me to grow. And I'm okay. And by the way, he's a sympathetic high priest. And if you think for a second, he doesn't weep with you and his heart is not broken. He is close to the brokenhearted. 
and near to those contrite in spirit. I mean, half of us have like problems, not really problems. The other part of us, the other half, you've got problems, serious problems. I don't mean it like that. That sounded, I don't mean like you got problems. I meant like you have issues that are serious. I just want want to make light of them. Neither does God. We weep with those who weep. We care about that. But he's saying, even then, let God comfort you in that horrendous problem and see somehow, someday, you'll see something redemptive about even the worst thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for a God that this is so wise and so ahead of the game. And I thank you, God, that you're good and that you love us. And I do. I pray for those who are like hurting with serious issues. Lord, though it is your chastisement that you've allowed it, we still pray comfort and healing and restoration and wisdom to be given to them so that they know how to deal with this horrendous ordeal. And in the meantime, Lord, let them be encouraged by what can come of it. Just a harvest, a, a full bin overflowing of things that are sweet and, and uh, things that sustain us and things of value. That's a harvest. Help them to experience that full and quickly, Lord. We thank you. Make us quick learners, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.